You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. It's Josie all alone again, but no worries. Spencer will be back, or she might already be on some episodes. I don't know when this is coming out, so you know, you know me. Anyways, friends, today we are joined by our new friend, Ashley. Ashley is a seminary student and the host of the Unlearning Podcast. Um, First question, where do you go to seminary? I go to seminary at Claremont, not at Fuller, Claremont School of Theology. Everybody in the LA Pasadena area that's like progressive goes to Fuller. And I'm like, not me. (laughs) I go to Claremont. Isn't Claremont cooler than Fuller? Way cooler. (laughs) Unapologetically progressive. um, Mm -hmm. Looks at the Bible realistically, looks at ministry realistically, like um, is just such an amazing, inclusive um, even like theologically inclusive, they train Muslim, Jewish, and Christian clergy. And anybody can go there. Um, it's really wonderful. So I'm in my last semester. So if anybody's thinking about going to seminary, please, please, please consider Claremont. You will not regret it. Hell yeah. I, um, yeah, I have my qualms with Fuller. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't know anyone who doesn't honestly. Yeah, yeah. It's like supposed to be one of the, um, like better ones in the grand scheme of the United States, but not in Southern California, you know? Yeah. And I think people are a little concerned about Claremont because they think it's just too liberal, but, um, it's not, it's like, uh, realistically liberal, if that makes sense. Like they're not going to make you liberal for the sake of making you liberal. They're going to affirm the theology you already have in your, in your heart and help you to really own it by your own understanding of the Bible and study of scripture. So yeah, I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, everybody, you heard it here. (laughs) Well, Ashley, we always start off the podcast by asking people to tell us about their life story, their testimony, all those cute little uh, super traumatizing buzzwords. I was going to say, you still (laughs) use the word testimony. I was like, whoa. Only ironically, um, because I can't come up with another way to say it, you know, (laughs) but I always put in the little caveat, but whatever. Uh, What? Tell us all about you. So my name is Ashley Lynn Hanks, pronouns she, her, for those of you who are not on Zoom right now. Um, Born and raised in Miami. I'm a Cuban American. I was baptized Presbyterian USA. Um, Loved the Presbyterian church, but the coolest youth group was the Baptist youth group down the street. And so, you know, they got me with their Halloween parties and their camp. (laughs) I know. And so, um, and it, and so I went to an evangelical youth group and that's where I really began to fall in love with the evangelical church, but also really internalize a lot of toxic theology. I grew up, I was raised by a single mom and I didn't really see that as an issue or as something to kind of like be ashamed of until I became a Baptist mm-hmm. until Freaking figures. I heard all that rhetoric about the fatherless child and how God is, you know, your father. And yeah, be very careful people when you talk about that stuff, because you could be creating problems where there are none, you know? Amen. Um, (laughs) So I um, spent a lot of my like formative years in the evangelical church, middle school, high school, 
undergrad. Um, and the evangelical church, I feel like is where so much of my faith solidified and really grew strong. Um, and then I like came out first to my own, to myself and then <laughs> to others. And so that connection to the evangelical church was no longer a possibility, I think in a lot of ways. So without people beginning to treat me hurtfully, you know, and so mm. Took a step back, went to grad school in San Francisco and found the PCUSA church again and fell into the hands of St. John's Presbyterian Church and the Presidio. And they put me back together. They very much healed a lot of those wounds that came from some of the stigma and the challenges of dealing with the evangelical church and coming out. And, um, they were just very much a safe space and reignited my passion for the church. Then I moved down to LA to pursue the film business and I ended up falling in love with the church again and just being so excited about what the church was doing. Um, I went to an affirming church for the first time. I didn't even Mm. know that was a thing. Yeah. Christ chapel of the Valley here in LA. It was all gay people, gay pastor, gay worship leaders. I mean, this was like, this blew my mind. (laughs) And so, yeah. And then just kind of floated around the progressive churches in the LA area until I like heard and accepted the call to ministry. I was asked to teach a class on uh, feminist theology and the Me Too movement. And that was like a huge chapter of deconstruction for me. That was very challenging for my evangelical brain in my evangelical roots to like think about feminist theology. Um, but I was mentored by an older pastor named Rev Sharon Rhodes wicket. She's a Methodist and she really, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And so she really shepherded me through that process. And I taught the class and it was just so like, you need to go to seminary, you need to go to seminary. And so Claremont is like the Hogwarts of Methodist clergy. Yeah, they are. Everybody who's Methodist goes there and it's, it's just so revered and so awesome. And, um, I'm so glad I did. Like, it was so helpful and so, um, strengthening, you know, like we're told certain things by evangelical pastors all the time. And because of Claremont, I know how to deconstruct that and the truth behind that and where they are clearly lying. And that I could not really tell you before seminary. Oh, I love yeah. it. Mm. So that's pretty much my journey. I found you all through uh Sarah, Sarah Heath. Oh, I heard you yep. on the Making Spaces podcast, then yep. you came on to this. And so I'm just so excited to be here. You guys do, I love hearing you guys chat with people, and you guys are so funny, you and Spencer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like a lot of times Spencer um is just putting up with me and my shit. <laughs> She's a lot nicer than I am. And her poor mom listens to the podcast every week. And every week after we're done recording, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, Mama Spence. I'm so oh sorry. <laughs> but you know, it's all right. Um, I disappoint lots of mothers, so <laughs> including my own. I'm used to it. 
<laughs> it helps with their own unlearning too, right? You know, their own deconstruction of what they expect of their children, right? Yeah, like today, oh my gosh, today on Facebook, Facebook drama, my parents, <laughs> both of my parents, my mom is in Mexico right now taking care of her sister. And oh my gosh, she posted a picture of um, my family in Mexico are a little bit Calvinist. Um, <laughs> God. God, <laughs> which I'm like, bitch, you Cal- You think that you're chosen? Like, out of all the situations, you think that you're the chosen one? Yeah. Anyway, but they have, they use the fucking paddles to hit their kids with the Bible <gasps> verse inscribed in it. Oh my God. I know. My mom, my mom who had no qualms hitting me my whole fucking childhood, posted wow. a picture of this thing and she said, it's so disappointing that Christians are using this to hit their kids. And first of all, I was just like, okay, progress, but also what the fuck? <laughs> And in the comments, like her sister, who's probably sitting right fucking next to her, is like commenting all this stuff. And then my dad posts a link to some like religious website saying like, yeah, this is not actually in the Bible. And I'm commenting like if I said like, if I see it, I'll burn it. Oh, wow. Well, that is gross. It is pretty funny. Yeah. And I attribute that all to me, of course, (laughs) because I challenge every single thing that comes out of their fucking mouths. But so funny. Isn't it annoying how we have to parent the next generation? (laughs) Or the previous one, right? Oh, yeah. The previous one, not the next. (laughs) (laughs) We're the next. But anyways, tell us about your podcast. I'm curious as a fellow podcaster. Yeah. So my unlearning journey was kind of like uh, jagged. I was... As someone who like found so much like help and strength in the evangelical culture, I was very threatened by deconstruction. Um, mm. I don't know if anybody else out there is like that, but I'm definitely like that. Um, I in, went to this church in Central in Glendale called Central Avenue. I don't know if you've heard it, but the pastor is amazing, and it's a whole church dedicated to deconstruction. Ooh. And I remember going to like hear him preach. Aaron Van Voorhis and just being so threatened and so angry and so upset at things he was saying. I even think one of the first things he did like really upset me, um, was on church history. He like deconstructed church history. Ooh, that's a big one. Yeah. And so it turned me off for like a good six, seven months. And then for some reason I would like play his podcast again and just listen to his sermons and slowly like gave myself permission to feel tense and feel uncomfortable about what he was preaching. Uh, because after I would hear it, I would, my body would feel differently. Like, Mm -hmm. even though I didn't like, wasn't fully on board with deconstruction, it felt so different. Like God felt so different in a good and wonderful way. And I was like, okay, Ashley, maybe you can do something different for those who are struggling with deconstruction or who are conservative, but kind of know something is wrong. And so the unlearning podcast is gentle, 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 gentle deconstruction. God bless you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like that slow nudge towards the other way. It's Mm. that I know something is wrong, but I can't reject the baby with the bathwater. Like I really explain this to me, Ashley, it helped me understand. And so that's what that podcast is about. Uh, I love it. It's been a huge passion project of mine. I've heard a lot of good feedback from, from people who have been former evangelicals who say, who've been telling me about how it's been so helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, so just excited and grateful to be a part of it. Yeah. I mean, I was talking to somebody uh, yet at an interview yesterday and I was talking about how it was so fucking annoying that 
to change people's minds you have to be kind of nice to them like because <laughs> i'm very aggressive and i mean i could be i could be nice everybody i can be nice and it's just and i've had the most success with love and compassion and i'm just like but why can't i just yell at you it's so much more satisfying <laughs> why can't you just understand and like my journey to deconstruction was all information based as soon as i heard the thing and learned the thing i was like oh this shit is really falling apart isn't it wow and it, and it wasn't very scary for me because i'm very intellectual i make decisions based on the brain what is that I, i'm an intj for the Myer, people who still do the myers-briggs as opposed to the yes. enneagram so i'm all thought-based and so it wasn't that hard for me right because my feelings i was my feelings were attached to my beliefs but not in a way where i couldn't like i was always questioning myself i was questioning everything because i'm a brat but yeah, you're like you're saying, some people need a gentle touch. Some people need it to be more, hey, it's okay. Like, you're fine. <laughs> yes. But have, yeah. what have, you, have you seen like a, from people who have responded well to your gentle deconstruction, like what is the feedback? What do people say? That's really interesting. I never thought about that. Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Or I wish I had heard that when I was in my 20s or 30s, that mm -hmm. would have saved me from a lot of pain and, and trauma, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's the kind of feedback I get. Ugh, that's so <laughs> sweet. <laughs> yeah, um, otherwise yeah. people just shut down and yeah. just like they reject it altogether and mm -hmm. have no idea how blind they are to some of the things that they are hearing and believing in the ways that it's actually hurting them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I've noticed that with my parents, especially too. I mean, cause I'm their fucking kid, so they don't want to listen to me, but I used to be so combative. And as soon as I was like, dad, what, whatever you want to believe is whatever you want to believe. But I just, you know, I can't fathom a God that would hate their gay kids so much that he would send them to hell just for being gay and wanting to yeah. pursue love. And then all of a sudden he was just like, what the fuck is this kid talking about? <laughs> yeah. But, or send them to hell for not being Christian. I know. You know, or not mm -hmm. um, even believing in a God, you know, like that. What kind of God? I know. That? Yeah. My dad has now kind of evolved into this um, taking kind of a Mormon stance. I would oh. say it's a, of like, I think God gives you one last chance at the end when you die, like to accept him or deny him. And I was like, okay, Mormon over here. <laughs> Because Mormons don't really believe that anybody goes to hell. You have to, like, deny God to God's face. I'm like, okay, well, wow. who's going to deny God like, when you're standing right there? Yes. So my dad is a similar, like, mind frame now because he just can't fathom a God that would send people to hell for not mm -hmm. knowing Christi, his version of Christianity. Actually. Yeah. But you talked about how you were nervous to be on this podcast. Why are you nervous? <laughs> Not nervous anymore. I definitely feel better now. Okay, great. I know I'm pretty. I'm pretty intimidating. <laughs> In all my jokingness, um, what is as a fellow podcaster? What is the one thing that you see in the deconstruction space, especially now, with like russia and like all this fucking bullshit that's happening in the world the pandemic like what is the one thing right now that you think that people need to hear that are conservative that are not into deconstruction i mean there's a a war on deconstruction now so what do you i know <laughs> oh that was, that's a lot oh <laughs> or i'm surprised it's taken them that long you know like to wage uh, war <laughs> yes i mean you guys don't have a great track record i think i think we can i think we can win this one sorry <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> 
I think there is a massive deficit in reconstruction. Mm. Like, okay, great. You have pulled that apart. Now, what do I hold on to? Yeah. Where is my hope? Where is my, what, what a part of God can I find strength in, in a healthy way? Like, mm-hmm. you know, because I think that that too makes it's deconstruction so hard is there is very little reconstruction, you yeah. know, you deconstruct everything. What do people, what do people have? What do people hold on to? So, yeah. Yeah. Cause even people who end up being like atheists, they always have like some comfort in like, well, I find comfort in the nothing personally. I don't understand that, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if it brings you comfort and hope, I guess, but whatever i get it <laughs> yeah or i find comfort in commu- in like my faith in my community mm-hmm. or in the power of my relationship with my wife or in the power of my friendships power is a little strong but like in the beauty of my friendships mm-hmm. like um the relationships that i have give my life meaning in a special way you know yeah. just like even giving people uh something strong to hold on to I think is so lacking, you know, yeah. um, and just because this, we call in seminary, these like spiritual resources of like prayer and meditation and Bible reading, communion and worship, just because those have been tainted by conservatives mm-hmm. doesn't mean they can't be used again for healthy spirituality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, meditation was never part of my personal, um, assemblies of God. Yes, it was yeah. uh, because the devil could come into your brain and yoga too. Right. Was yes. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was like, my parents were always said, if you have the Lord in your heart, ain't nobody can get into you. And I took that as like fact. So <laughs> I was scared of meditation or yoga. I was like, these bitches can't get me. <laughs> And then when I started having like all of my fibro pain, I was like, but they said I have to do yoga. What am I supposed to do? Oh, funny. I know. I mean, at that point, I didn't give a shit about what my parents had to say, but it's <laughs> so funny. Like that, like little creepy thoughts or whatever. And so you guys need to chill the fuck out. It's not that deep. I promise. <laughs> yeah. What has been the hardest thing that you've noticed for people to like deconstruct? Oh, the Bible is a huge one. Yeah. Biblical inerrancy. I mean, you might as well like say God is dead. Like if you, mm. if the Bible is not inerrant then nothing, other, nothing makes sense. Nothing is worth it. And that's just so not true. I know. <laughs> yeah. It's almost, I never got that. Cause as soon as somebody told me that some dudes got together and decided what went in the Bible, I was like, Oh, that sucks. But it wasn't, I had, again, I had no like real emotional reaction. I was just kind of like, Oh, I guess that makes sense that it would happen that way. I like, I never thought about it. And, da, 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 and I was like, well, fuck them. What the hell telling me that I had to be a womanly, gu- whatever. And yeah, I don't, yeah. That's- It'd be so cool to have like an all female translation team. Ooh, yeah. Get I wonder how I would be- in there. Yes. <laughs> the submit to your husband would be out. Yes. That's- but yeah, like people, I just, they can't deal with that. You know, they can deal with variations on how we like maybe understand God, but like you touch on biblical inerrancy and they get so bent out of shape. But if you open the Bible and forget like the original Greek and Hebrew, like Mm -hmm. you look at how different, um, gospel writers write the parables. Yeah. They're so different. 
Yeah. <laughs> there, I mean, there are like whole details in healing, healing incidences that are, that are changed. Depending they weren't on the- even there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that part was real funny to me i was like they weren't there they did not see this shit happen yes this is not a primary source as we say in journalism and then i was like well fuck this (laughs) right i mean it's a beautiful story i as an avid reader appreciate the the sentiment i love the journey i love the the literary parts of it all but you know it's just not that deep yeah and even though the Bible is not without error or it has error, doesn't mean it's not sacred. doesn't mean you exactly. can't use it to fulfill you and inspire you and connect you to God. Exactly. Uh, not, it is not either or as much as Albert Moeller tries to make it seem, you know. I know. Well, it's kind of like these Buddhist texts, right, that are written like now and then and all throughout history. They're still seen as sacred because they have truths, like universal yeah. truths that people can relate to. Like the Bible being written by a bunch of dudes that didn't really know what they were talking about. I mean, it's beautiful still. So why? Yeah, I don't know. Yes. <laughs> Maybe I'm too. What about you? What do you think is lacking in this? Oh, like, <laughs> look at the tables of turn. What do I think is lacking in what? In this deconstruction space. I think what is lacking as a brown person, um, lots of more brown people. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, because I often talk to my fellow deconstructed humans about how evangelicalism was very easy for me to let go of because I was not fully accepted in the first place. Wow. Because I was not willing to, I went to a Baptist church that was, it wasn't predominantly white, but the culture of Americanness was a predominant factor. Like you had to, it was so old school. It was like stuck in the sixties and it was, they split the, when the Baptist church split, they went with the side that said women couldn't preach and women <laughs> couldn't hold leadership positions. And Josie feminism is bad. Like it's bad. And you have to submit to your husband and it's better for you. And I'm, I'm I don't, I just don't fuck with that. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't yeah. know what to tell you. I, I, with this personality, I'm not supposed to be a leader. I'm not supposed to open <laughs> my mouth. Like, why would the Lord make me into a salty ass bitch if I'm not supposed to sprinkle it everywhere? I just I came that. up with that on the fly. Oh my gosh. I'm so impressed with myself. <laughs> I love that. But so I think like different voices, um, both angry and gentle. I think a lot of times we're so uncomfortable with, a not white person being angry because it's seen as more aggressive. And I think there needs to be more space for both. And, um, I think there needs to be less looking for a shoe to drop too. Like recently there was this whole shenanigan with these women who decided to take pictures together in the desert and they were naked and I understand like they were all thin and white passing and beautiful and stuff and people didn't really identify and they were just a bunch of friends hanging out Mm. but there was like this avid attack against those women for that and I was like I don't know very many like yeah they're the ones that were comfortable getting naked like what do you want me to like yeah there's so much policing going around and well yeah the optics are like yeah you should call out the optics you don't have to like attack people to the point of like conflict you should be like hey i don't feel represented and i understand that wasn't whatever you know there's this like internal conflict for doing things the right way 
when your right way might not be somebody else's right way. Yeah. But I'm comfortable with conflict. So what do I know? (laughs) (laughs) I think there's so much to be said about whiteness and evangelical culture. Mm. Like how much are the people trying to transform you into the biblical feminine woman? Or is it more like they're just trying to transform you into the ideal white female? The Hillsong mommy blogger. Yeah. I'm just not a Hillsong mommy blogger. Did you see that new Hillsong documentary with uh I haven't seen it, but I wanted to bring it up because they I saw an art I read an article about how they were like talking about how like that's not fair. Like we're doing good things. Whoa. Yeah. And it's like, okay, well. But okay, did you so did you saw it? I have not seen it. Have you I seen it? Watch it? No, I want to watch it so Do you bad. have to download uh Discovery Plus app in order to watch it? Like I don't want to subscribe to the whole <sighs> channel. I just wanna like Probably. <laughs> Although I am surprised that Discovery Plus is did it because I don't know. Chip and Joanna Gaines are on there, so I'm like, aren't you guys into Jesus? I don't know. I don't know what Discovery Plus is. I might pirate it. Oh, don't tell anybody. Is Zoe Zoe Church LA connected to Hillsong in some way? I don't think so. They share a lot of the same uh, influencers because they're (laughs) cool. Like Chris Pratt goes to Zoe Church or whatever. Chris Pratt is rubbing me in a million wrong ways. Let me tell you. I'm like, dude, you were better when you were funny. You're not like you're hot, I guess, but this ain't you, dude. Yeah. You be like this. You yeah. can be funny and Christian. I promise. Look at me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, I'm curious to watch it because Hillsong to me has been the worst thing that could ever happen to the church. Say more. I feel like Hillsong has set a standard that everybody's trying to meet and it is not inclusive to everybody. You mean like it for church and how we do church or? Yeah. Yeah. Like in our little church, I go to a little Methodist church, very affirming. It's lovely. We have a bunch of, it's like a weird mix because we have um, some of our old people that have been there forever since they were children. Wow. And then we have young people and trans people and gay people. Like we have every thing around and it's a beautiful little community where nobody really gives a shit like that's <laughs> the best part is like today i asked my one of my older friends i won't name him because he'll get mad at me he's secret and i was like you have any guns in your house and he's like i will neither confirm nor deny i plead the fifth and i was oh like guilty <laughs> so you know we have like a variety of type of people yes and like I have this podcast, they don't care. It's great. But one of the things that in this church, I have to tell the we have a new pastor and he's great, but he also like likes things to be nice and hip. And I have to remind him people here don't trust that shit. Like mm-hmm. I don't trust, I'm a graphic designer, but I don't trust good graphic design in a church. I don't trust no introduction video countdowns in the beginning <laughs> of this church service. That's so true. Like all these little things where I'm like, we have so to keep true. it old school. Cause otherwise we're just going to turn into this conglomerate where we're going to be all about the money to fund these little things. And it's like, no, let's just have our little guitar player. Yeah. We're old shit. And our church is so old looking and it's beautiful. And it's, I have to remind people like, we are not trying to meet the standard that Hillsong has set because that is bullshit. That is untrustworthy. That is the colonizers, the gentrifiers mantra, and I'm not for it. Yeah. 
and luckily I have enough clout in this church of like 50 people where I could, where I'm the <laughs> boss and I'm the graphic designer. So I run shit. <laughs> that's awesome. But I mean, that's a huge conversation to be had when we talk about these mega churches, right? Mm-hmm. Is what is the influence that they have set and what are the, like, what are people trying to meet as a result of their success? People try right. to match their success. But what do you think? Yeah, I think there's a lot of good that mega churches do. I mean, uh, I'm using that like gently. Like I think youth programs and like mm. um, support groups for people, even though they call them Bible studies or connection <laughs> groups, it's it's a support group yeah, yeah. for people. I think they do that so well. Um, and I think that all churches could f- learn to do that better or just in a more, we could, progressives can do it in a more authentic way, but mm-hmm. we should be at least just trying to do that regularly. Um, because connection in today's world is so hard, even on social with social media, oh, it is yeah. so hard to have genuine, strong connections, relationships with other people. Um, but I do think they do paint this like unhealthy expectation for what a church can be. Mm. Um, you know, and, um, it's important for us to deconstruct that and also to deconstruct our understanding of the pastor and who the pastor is, mm-hmm. you know, I like that the black lives matter movement didn't have like a central figurehead Yeah, with I their movement. That. There was all these different movements and these different figureheads. And I think, I, th- I believe like church should be like that too. Like it shouldn't be this one person that we kind of like subconsciously idolize mm-hmm. and low-key worship and like have these excessive expectations for we should have like a community of leaders that rotate in and, and teach and kind of guide and lead and offer up um direction and vision and and go as we feel co- like led to instead of putting this expectation on upon ourselves to create profit and increase in membership and all that so yeah i agree especially the whole profit thing <laughs> My life has been ruined by a prophet. I am I am my mother's fulfillment of the prophecy that some guy told her that she was going to be rich. Oh my goodness. I'm not even rich. I just married a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, evangelicalism has just produced so much toxicity. Yeah. And uh, the reason why I applaud you for being gentle is because it's just the evangelical church has been so ungentle to lots of us. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And it feels like I just want to rip it all apart. I mean, I'm a burn it all down kind of person. Um, Spencer, on the other hand, thinks that there's redemption for the evangelical church. <sighs> I did you, by the way. Yes, I know. <laughs> You're gentle. I mean, I feel like I should want redemption. <laughs> it's like that weird self-awareness of like, oh, you're being a little bitchy. Like you're pushing things. That look- no, no, no. I believe like we all have different gifts. Right. Some people are there to like call things out and break them up mm. and deconstruct. Other people are there to like patch people back together. Yeah. you know, and be merciful and compassionate and other people are there to think through these issues and not feel it, you know, just like think through yeah. it intellectually anyway. And I, th- I just think that, you know, so that's maybe not your gift is the gentleness, but like the prophet, yeah. the one that's like calling things out and saying, you can't ignore this anymore. You can't keep lying. That's awesome. Ooh, I'm a prophet. <laughs> oh, I just something to think about. Yeah. Take that mommy dearest. <laughs> <laughs> do you think that there's a place in redemption? Do you think that there's a place for mega churches and redemption realistically without harm? 
Yes, I do. I think, <gasps> I, I think that so many people just don't even, they're so blind to it, mm-hmm. you know, and you know, the mega church model gives so many people so much security. Mm. Like it puts their, it makes their, look, you look at your faith and it's strong. It's profitable. It is like mm. changing people's lives, quote unquote. And so it's easy to be blinded by that. Yeah. And I think if, if you pull it all the way, people could see more clearly, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think if there's redemption for the evangelical church, it would be the destruction of the mega church. Oh, how funny. Yeah. It would be a return to the little community church where you have to organize bake sales with that woman you don't quite like this week. <laughs> yes. Where the pastor knows your name, where this guy has no real power because if you don't like him, you can be like, Mm-mm, no, sir. <laughs> and I mean, I feel like that is a community that people don't realize that they crave. Mm-hmm. Like you're just going to sit next to a random person every Sunday and you're never going to see them again or know their name or remember who they are because your church is that big. Yeah. I just don't see that as the way forward, Mm -hmm. but maybe I'm just an old lady. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, that's, that's so true. Uh, the church at central Avenue in in Glendale, he's like, I don't want to grow more than 70 people. Like, this is it. This is what Mm -hmm. I want. And we're already there. And so, you know, I want to welcome new people, but we are not about increasing in numbers. 70 is a good, hot, nice spot for us. And yeah. Just to be able to financially support ourselves. Yeah. Fit in the building and call it a day. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's so much with mega churches that I could just bitch about. (laughs) So much. My parents go to mega church now after going to a small Latin community church in the hood. And I don't get it. They have like a big band every Sunday with like stands that have projectors on them. And I was like, is that necessary? Do you need a screen (laughs) in front of, in front of your podium that you're going to play the trumpet at? Is that necessary? Yeah. Or I got in trouble one Sunday because I went and they sat me in the front because they, they assign you where you see at their church. This is the one time I went and they sat me in the front because I was young and I was dressed all hip or whatever. So they could put the cameras on me. And during worship, which was like an hour long, at one point I sat down, a bitch was tired. I don't know the songs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And afterwards my mom was like why did you sit down they couldn't point because she's an usher so why did you sit down they couldn't point the camera so i was in trouble for sitting oh down uh. and at the time i didn't know i had fibromyalgia and now i'm just realizing that's some ableist bullshit <laughs> yes but you know yeah i can't deal with that mentality of like we got to keep up the appearance the young people have to sit in the front and they have to be their hands raised in the air oh my and goodness. yeah they had to put a rule in no shofars because pentecostals love their shofars <laughs> and i'm like bitches should be able to blow their shofars if you're gonna be all pentecostal about it <laughs> but it messes with the audio quality yeah i think I mean, also one of like the worst things about hillsong is that they have used music as a way to like emotionally manipulate people into conversion. Ooh, don't even get me started. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the crescendo, the, mm-hmm. the lyrics, the, they're basically like pop songs, but with like God attached to it. It's basically yeah. using God and pol- politics, but you're lacing it in a way that our generation understands it best, which is through the arts, through music, yeah. creativity. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I don't understand people who deny that. Especially from like 
I studied music for a hot second and I took I took AP music theory <laughs> and <laughs> a weird flex at 27 years old and that was one of the first things that they taught us was this cadence or this chord progression if you have a minor key it makes you kind of sad if you have a major key it makes you kind of happy and like emotional manipulation is the name of the musical game so why yeah. are you pretending that it's not like that yeah your little drum down beats or whatever and your little breakdowns like this is all music 101 and you're gonna pretend <laughs> like you're not being involved in it yeah because uh. if it really were that like not emotional manipulation you would just be singing these old ass hymns and people would have the same reaction right <laughs> good point yeah but these uh, I'm just so disappointed in the evangelical church. Yeah. I've moved past anger at this point. I'm just so disappointed. <laughs> Especially when you got the Sean fucks of the world where everybody's standing behind this one guy who was in some band with long hair and now all of a sudden he's their mark. To the guy from Skillet? No, Sean Foy is his actual name. I call him Sean Fuck. But <laughs> what was he in Jesus Culture or something like that? Oh, I don't. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, well, he was the one that was like protesting with the big worship protests where they would go to different places and sing without masks or the pandemic. Oh, goodness. Their rights were being infringed on and blah, blah, <sighs> blah. I know. <laughs> the political side of it all is really disappointing. Yes. Yes. How do you stay gentle with the political side of it all? You know, I was like so hardcore evangelical Josie until I came out. Like I had, I clung, I ate, I drank the Kool-Aid. I found mm. so much comfort in it. I found so much strength. I found so much purpose with like biblical femininity until I came out. Mm. And if it, I had not come out, I would still be hard, hardcore evangelical. Mm. If I wasn't gay, I'd be hardcore evangelical. I'd be yeah. like Beth Moore. Well, isn't she like better now? <laughs> oh, I know. I know. I just like, you would have gotten better gives, eventually. <laughs> she gives me so much hope for evangelicals. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but all that to say, so I like understand the fear in like, in these abortion talks, mm. like, you know, how could you kill babies? Like, I understand the fear around that and where that thinking comes from and where the reluctant reluctance is to like, even think critically about that issue. And, yeah. um, so it's easy for me to be gentle people because I, I was, I was just like, yeah, them. Yeah. I am yeah. just like them, you know? Yeah. It's weird. I, I wish I could, I, I was just like them. I was so adamant. I was so anti-abortion and, now, especially that I'm disabled, it's really hard for me to hear my parents and my family say, well, you should get pregnant anyways, because that's your <laughs> calling in life. And I was like, okay, but I, I could die. And they're like, wow. well, you know, the Lord will see you through. <sighs> and I was like, so my life is worth less than a baby that's not even in my womb. Mm. And they'll say, no, no, no. But it was like, mm, that's what you're kind of saying. That's kind of what you're saying. Yeah. That's the one part of the abortion debate that really gets me. It's like, women are dying. Like, the mortality rate for mothers in the US is not great. Yeah. <laughs> so you're, I don't know. Like, there's so much fear around birth. And now you're just going to double down. Right. 
I can't like what your mom was saying is so dehumanizing. Even when, should you have a child, like any challenges you might have as a mother, mm-hmm. you know, it's not going to matter because it's all about the kid. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Just- Which I mean, because my parents aren't huge into mental health. They've learned a lot through my own journey. Um, because I had to go to therapy for court reasons as a child. <laughs> Got my daddy his papers that way, let me tell you. <laughs> so I've had a lot of therapy in life, so they kind of get it. But it wasn't until, I remember my mom and I were talking about suicide and death by suicide. And she was talking about somebody in particular. And she said they're suicidal because uh, they have they do not have the Lord in their heart. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, I don't know what made me so brave. But that's just like, mom, you know, I've have been diagnosed with chronic depression since I was a child and there are days where life seems like it's too hard to live mm-hmm. and that's all I said and then she never brought it up ever again she got it oh wow which I mean my mom there's a stubborn woman so maybe she just doesn't bring it up to me ever again but she never <laughs> brought it up again and she's like don't you ever do that and I was like well no I have no intention but sometimes hard life is really hard to live especially yeah. when your brain chemistry is not up to par (laughs) yeah wow but the church is not great with mental health it doesn't exist like honestly especially the evangelical church it doesn't exist i remember they tried to send me to some christian counselor at one point i was like i'm good you know i don't need another person telling me to pray my my depression away yeah yeah um i'm especially like sensitive to any kind of negative talk about 12-step programs like Mm -hmm. i really i believe so much in any kind of 12-step program i think that the gospel work that we we so much want to see the miracles we so much want to see they're happening in 12-step rooms yeah they really are um and it's a real spiritual experience it's more a church than yeah churches today but it's work right the church doesn't want it because it's a lot of work it's not a it's not a miracle it's not an instant it's yeah work oh sometimes i think the church like treats christianity as this magical formula or this like fairy tale Mm -hmm. that you know we're just going to repeat it to ourselves because it's sunday morning and it makes us feel better and we don't really have to do work about dealing with our white fragility or our Mm -hmm. homophobia or our transphobia or really look at our finances and see where we're exploiting people we're just gonna like blanket and numb ourselves with this fairy tale one more time you know yeah i and i'm not much for fairy tales i'm gonna be honest (laughs) It don't work. Yeah. yeah. I never dreamed of the knight in charming armor. I never dreamed of the big white wedding. I never dreamed of any of that. Yeah. Because life was too hard and it didn't seem like it was all that, all that nice. Or Cinderella was like, not what you're going to do. Like (laughs) she's going to be there. Yeah. She found her prince that didn't even know her face. Like that sounds great. (laughs) What a fucking fairy tale that is. Yeah. I can't, I can't with, I can't with it all. (laughs) What do you love about your church? You said it's like progressive, affirming. Oh yeah. My church. It's weird how Spencer and I have noticed that a lot of us who deconstruct and deconstruct into being affirming, I guess, end up at Methodist churches. And Mm -hmm. for me, I love the diversity I love that I can open my big fat mouth. I can curse in the sanctuary and nobody even blinks twice. Wow. I mean, they'll be like, we shouldn't wear a hat. The older people will be like, we shouldn't be wearing hats in the church. And I'm like, <laughs> I like my hat, Dave. 
let me wear my hat and it's not a big deal like i don't yeah. there's no like repercussions for talking back or for having this podcast or i mean i work at this fucking church and when i got the job i was living in sin and <laughs> <laughs> there's no uh, there's a diversity of theology like not everybody believes the same things yeah i i don't believe in hell but i think somebody else does at the church or <laughs> we have trans people and it's not that big of a deal or i don't know we have a you know those theology on taps or whatever Love those. is called imago day drinking and i came up with that name and it was an instant hit that is the best i love that that is really good yeah i haven't trademarked everybody not yet but i will so don't <laughs> take it it's mine imago day drinking but how funny is that you know i i i, I one pastor i know um she did a she did bar hopping on Ash Wednesday yes. and ended it in the sanctuary at night. Yes. I mean, she said that when, by the time they got to the sanctuary, they were just in tears mm. just over like the death of Christ. And mm. I think that is so, so needed and so powerful and so cool. Like what a new way of imagining Lent, the start of Lent, yeah. you know, we're like even, so I use weed medically and recreationally. I'm not afraid to say that. And at the, our church, everybody does. It's not like a big deal. Our address is 420 and we make fun of it because it's hilarious because we're yeah. all a bunch of potheads. And yeah. like, there's no there's no consequences. There's no Josie's going to have to get up at the front to be shamed into submission or whatever. Yeah. There's nothing like that. It's just a bunch of people who have and most of us have deconstructed. And interestingly enough, we have a ton of intelligent people <laughs> like software programmers just like a uh, surgeons and doctors and finance people and fbi agents and i'm like where the fuck did all of you come from yeah but they like the intellectual side that we bring to the emotional side of what is spirituality you know there's no yeah there's no judgment there's no whatever it's great we're just a bunch of little hooligans yeah you know no. in the evangelical church we're like told that your goal is to like become like christ like that is the goal of sanctification <laughs> i ain't never getting there so <laughs> quite frankly but, but i believe like your goal should actually like yeah your character like you want to be as patient mm -hmm. and kind as you age mm -hmm. but your ultimate goal i believe that God is calling us to pursue is to be more of who we are yep. to be more Mexican, Mexican American, to be more bold, to be more strong, to be more clear, to be more, um, to be more fun, to be whatever it is, but to mm -hmm. be more of it and to be it fully, yeah. um, you know, while pursuing the character of Christ, not necessarily the personality of the right. pastor. <laughs> yeah. Lord knows I'm not having that Jesus personality. <laughs> <laughs> way too fucking aggressive i can identify with jesus flipping the tables but that's me like every day so <laughs> less so you know the miracles and meditation yeah i'm just trying to fuck shit up dude that's it <laughs> disruptor that's, yes i'm a disruptor yeah. or the challenger and um enneagram eight you know i have an enneagram eight too eight <gasps> leaning to us so i was a two for a long time and now i'm an eight Ooh. Yeah, so I have no problem, Josie, speaking up. I have You're a no gentle problem. challenger. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I'm an aggressive challenger. <laughs> yeah, I have found that I get I, I get further with honey than I do with vinegar. Like, 
I have two. I just like to talk a big game. <laughs> I like to scare people first, and those who stick around, like, oh, I know that I could change your mind then. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And it's always, for me, I've found that it's always a gentle question. So we're just like, huh, where did you get that information? Yeah. And then it just starts to unravel for them. It's mm-hmm. great. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. Yes. Thank you, Josie. We should have these all the time. You should come back on. (laughs) I would love that with Spencer too. That'd be fun. Yes, I know. You should come back on with Spencer. She's a lot, um, she's more gentle than I am. (laughs) No, this has been so much fun. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I love the work that you and Spencer are doing. The conversations are so interesting and thought provoking. It's just such a cool podcast. So thank you. Thank you. Well, speaking of podcasts, plug away at your own stuff. Anything. So I am the host of the unlearning podcast where I help people learn how to love Jesus and their neighbor through healthy life-giving theology. Mm. I recently am finishing finished or I'm finishing up this four part series on healthy Christian sexual ethics, Yes, but it's not from my mind. It is from the work of Margaret Farley. She is a Catholic feminist theologian. She unpacks it. It's really awesome. I hope you all get the chance to check it out. You can check it out on Spotify or iTunes or overcast or wherever you get your podcast. Um, it's playing. So hope you check it out. Hell yeah. Well, friends, you can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church, me at Josie Takes the World, Spencer at Spence Rose. Um, I'm supposed to tell you to like, review, and subscribe or whatever the <laughs> thing is. And so, you know, yeah, go. Can you like a podcast? No, just subscribe. <laughs> um, give me five stars. If you don't want to give me five stars, don't review it. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, you can now buy us a coffee if you like our work enough to give us some money a little tip jar uh, you can find that in the link on our Spotify we uh, would appreciate it not necessary at all we do this out of the kindness of our hearts we have day jobs but you know I like coffee so yes and beer I'll probably just beer. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all that to say friends as always stay woke or get woke and as Spencer always says Jesus loves you This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.